Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Introverted noise. Oh, yeah, daddy. Alright, welcome back to another episode of the Pocket Protectors Podcast. I am your host, Jason Brown. You can find me on Twitter at BrownJason. And uh, our streak is broken for this show. Uh, The full crew not here today. As uh, Nick let everyone know on the last uh, recording that, uh, you know, he has some things, some big things happening. New child coming into the world. And so uh, he needed a... to go and take care of real life business, which is obviously just a little more important than this year podcast that we're doing. But fear not, folks. I still have one of the smartest people on the interwebs, our friend, the good doctor from Pro Football Focus, Dr. Eric Eager, my man. How you doing? I'm doing well. Congratulations to Nick. Uh, you know, I think it's two kids now for him. It's It sounds like he was he's going to have a girl. So that means the three of us all have two girls. So that's pretty sweet. Um, even though he's gone, we're we're joined here by ninety Vikings, so I feel like the 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 room is still full. That is true. That is true. So Eric and I have have done our our, our best at at using you know the technology at our disposal to try to sync up the watching of this Vikings game, so we can we can we'll you know some analysis, some numbers, and things. But there will be occasions of uh, of us being sidetracked because the game is on. We are watching as we record. And so we may jump back and forth. We may go off track a little bit because, you know, sometimes preseason football is just too exciting to keep you away. And, uh, yeah, we need that preseason analysis. We need it. So uh, as we get going here, Eric, there were a couple of things that, uh, you know, I uh, I wanted to talk to you about on on this episode. And it's not necessarily just specific to to the Vikings, but it's something that is, um, it's a topic that comes up. And it's something that has been a big talker um, amongst the Vikings, uh, amongst Viking fans, really not just this offseason, but really going back for the last few years. And it's talking about pressure rates, offensive lines, quarterbacks, all those sorts of things. And you teased last week on the podcast the awesome article that you would be putting out, uh, really talking about pressure rates being a bit of a quarterback stat versus not necessarily just being a, uh, a, a offensive line stat. And you're not the first person to write about this, but I, I think you did really, really, really awesome work. I will link to it in the show notes. Uh, if you haven't read it, make sure that you do. But I did want to get your take on you know this subject, as you know, there's been many threads on your article that I've seen on on Twitter since you uh, since you dropped it. And I guess help me understand, or, or help someone who maybe didn't read the article yet uh, get understanding of what you might mean by something like you know sack rates, pressure rates um, may be owned by the quarterback. Yeah, so I think previous work had had done 
you know, sacks. I, I know Hermsmeyer did like hits, um, which I think are an official NFL statistic at this point. Um, but we have, you know, our proprietary like pressure measures, uh, you know, that we that we post on, on Pro Football Focus, PFF.com, that kind of stuff. And so I wanted to take it a little bit further because I know that it's not just about sacks anymore. We're all woken up to this idea, um, you know, that pressure affects quarterback play. And I had, you know, for me, it was one of those things where if we could, if we could make quarterback pressure rates a quarterback stat, then we can make things like a quarterback's volatility uh, a quarterback stat because we know that uh, passer uh, efficiency under pressure is pretty unstable season to season. And so, if some guys, a la Deshaun Watson and Teddy Bridgewater, ha- have higher pressure rates than others, then they're inherently more volatile. Um, so I went in and looked at the um, I went and looked at the the sort of the play by play data. Um, I used things you know I adjust for context like whether it was a third and long, whether there was an RPO on the play, uh, so on and so forth, um, and and you know tried to essentially say okay this is the offensive line's pressure rate, this is the quarterback's pressure rate, uh, and how much of it explains um, sort of what we're seeing on the play by play level. And it, and it looks like quarterbacks really do control at the play level how how fast they're throwing the football, which in turn uh, controls how often they're under pressure. So that's a really interesting one, uh, especially for Vikings fans, because I think that the narrative this entire offseason was that an off- you know the offensive line was the problem last season, when in reality, I think sometimes Kirk you know needs to get rid of the ball more quickly. So as we bring this forward uh, and we look at things, I guess, first off, you know, with the analysis you found, I guess, where does Kirk Cousins kind of fall into the range of quarterbacks? Obviously, um, in, in work that I'd seen previously, it seemed to be uh, to be echoed in, in your findings as well. You mentioned Deshaun Watson and, and some other quarterbacks who have a, a tendency to, uh, to, to, to look to, to make maybe a, a play or, or sometimes maybe be a bit more conservative and not getting rid of the ball. So they just take more sacks. You have guys who get rid of the ball a lot more quickly. You have guys who are really high at the league in throwaways. Uh, where did Kirk Cousins fall into this? And given what you found, what are your expectations for him and how he plays if the Vikings offensive line improves, if the Vikings offensive line stays the same? Uh, what should we expect given what you found when you did this deep dive? Well, it's really interesting because um, because Cousins really fundamentally changed uh, the way that he acted a season ago, you know, sort of based upon the, um, I don't know, the guy, you know, the the uh, comments by by Mike Zimmer or what have you. Um, but Kirk, you know, last season was the seventh most pressured quarterback, right behind Russell Wilson, uh, Josh Rosen, Brock Osweiler, Cody Kessler, Josh Allen, and Deshaun Watson. Um, his sack rate, though, Kirk Cousins' sack rate. Um, was a little bit lower because he's getting rid of the ball, uh, you know, more quickly. But he also is facing uh, some pressure even on his non-sack plays. Um, but the thing about it was, is he fundamentally altered the way that he played after about five or six weeks. He threw a lot fewer turnover-worthy plays. He threw a lot fewer positively graded plays and big-time throws um, because he was afraid of making mistakes. And so um, it, it's interesting that you know he sort of changed the way that he played football because. Um, usually, you know, th- those are stripes that a quarterback has. So I would say he's a quarterback that invites pressure uh, more than most. I'm going to look at his 2016 pressure rates um, when he played for Washington. He was certainly lower down the list, 24th in pressure invited, 
uh, for a better offense. So you certainly, in in other circumstances, can take less pressure. Um, but at the same time, uh, you know, he's just one of those where in the pocket, I think he lacks some of the awareness that some of the other quarterbacks have uh, and, and sort of will always, therefore, take uh, pressure rates that are not trivial. All right. So Kirk takes a little bit more pressure. But from what we what you saw uh, early in the season, he was, I guess, maybe willing to take some more chances later in the season. Not so much. Um, can some of that be attributed potentially to just he was, you know, playing very well versus pressure. Uh, early on and that regressed or or do you fundamentally feel that you know something yeah Kirk just changed the way that he played or his mentality shifted that uh, that caused that change yeah. yeah I think for I think he was you know one of the better quarterbacks in the league under pressure we know that that's unstable it regressed a little bit down the stretch uh, and, and the thing about him is he you know we saw tonight in the game against Seattle you know he is one of the best quarterbacks in the league in terms of just being accurate down the field once he you know, puts his mind to it, he's a pretty solid player in that regard. He just stopped doing it for fear of the risk of turnover. And, and so, um, you know, I think, I think, you know, down the stretch, he certainly did face more pressure and it affected him more. We'll see this season if they can pro- provide an environment, whether it's through play action or, or, you know, sort of throwing on earlier downs instead of, you know, running the ball, which it doesn't look like is going to be their their forte, um, but just giving him easier passes so that he he isn't sort of so so much affected by pressure. All right. Well, I'm I'm going to take you. You know, we're talking quarterbacks, we're talking pressure rates, we're talking deep dive analysis, but I'm going to take you in another direction here because uh, I know how much the analytics community likes to talk about running backs and how much they do matter to the game. I want to talk about a couple running backs here, uh, Madison versus Mike Boone. So it seems as though every time Mike Boone gets on the field, it's a big play waiting to happen. He obviously brings the, you know, the athleticism to uh, to to the field in a way that you know Madison does not. Um, how has Mike Boone graded from a PFF perspective? And is it crazy to think that he potentially would have the talent to be a more effective RB two than the rookie that's coming in uh, in Alexander Madison? Oh, I, I don't think that that's. Uh, I don't think that that's. Uh you know, a beyond, you know, possibility at all, frankly, I'm actually going to go and look here at how guys have graded so far in the preseason. We don't, we don't grade preseason games live, but if I could see how he did last week, um, you know, but basically the idea is that what have we seen from him? We've seen catching the ball out of the backfield uh, and making plays after the catch. We've seen, um, you know, we've seen being explosive in the open field. We've seen breaking tackles. All of those things, Boone was the third highest graded running back last week behind David Montgomery uh, of Chicago uh, and Latavius Murray uh, of New Orleans. Both guys, I mean, we're all talking about three or four snap samples, um, but essentially, you know, th- that's great. I mean, the, you know, he's, you know, tonight we saw him make a play on, I believe, like an arrow route where he, uh, you know, was explosive. Those are the types of plays that if running backs are going to matter, have to be made by running backs. Uh, Alexander Madison has really never been that kind of player. Even at Boise, he was sort of more of a run the football to control the game type of thing, which works certainly um, when, you know, you're in college more so than the pro. I don't know how much that's going to work here, but, um, you know, I certainly think it's it's more of a, you know, there's more of a, a chance uh, for Boone to take that, that number two like spot. To hear. That is the propaganda I need to confirm my, my biases going into this game. All right, so we're doing it a little yeah, bit differently. Yeah. Obviously, uh, now we're into the third quarter of this game. 
generally speaking on this podcast, we're going to be going, we're going to be looking at the numbers after the fact, coming back with some, some analysis based on not just what we see with our eyes, but there's a game on right now. So Eric, first half of this game, give me your thoughts. Vikings first team offense, Vikings first team defense. How did you feel about what you saw from them? And let's start on the offensive side of the ball. Obviously, let's talk about Kirk Cousins. Let's talk about you know the offensive line. Those are the things that we've been focused on primarily over this offseason. First bit of action for them in this game. What are your thoughts? How'd they look? Are you impressed? Are you nervous? Well, it's so hard with Kirk because when he when he sets his feet and throws the football, I don't think there's a more like there aren't that many more impressive players. I mean, obviously Mahomes and people like that, but Kirk is a very accurate deep thrower. And I think, you know, we saw that with the throw to Thielen. We saw that with the pass interference penalty, uh, you know, down the middle of the field early uh, in the game. I mean, if that's the kind of player they're going to get out of Cousins, I think their offense is going to be pretty successful. Now, they still, you know, we saw Irv Smith over the middle of the field on a touchdown. Uh, from Sean Mannion. Sean Mannion lo- certainly looked pretty good other than the miscommunication that resulted in an interception. Um, you know, we're seeing here a little bit of the fullback action with the, uh, uh, gosh, blessing game, uh, who who made a nice little play there. So, you know, I, there are some positives here. I still think they're struggling in the interior of the offensive line. We saw, you know, a lot of pressure on Kirk, I believe, uh, on either a first and sec- or second down in the red zone that really tanked their opportunity to score a touchdown. So there's still issues there. I don't think Seattle's particularly talented, especially depth-wise without Wagner in today. So I, it's it's hard to take a, a ton uh, from this game. Um, but but in terms of the things about like Kirk being accurate, Kirk throwing down the football field, uh, you know, I don't think, you know, I don't think he could have been more impressive, frankly. Awesome. Now see, you, you hear that? You hear that, people? Eric over here saying nice, nice things about Kirk Cousins. For all of you who thinks he does nothing but hate on Kirk, <laughs> This is maybe consecutive three consecutive podcasts where Eric has had something complimentary to Kirk Dude, Cousins. I'm following along a little bit on on NFL Jesus right now, and and I know you're a little bit we're we're synced up on video here, um, but let's just say you're in store for a little bit of a surprise here on this their third down. So we we were close to synced up, um, but then you know I did see that graphic that they flashed up on the screen as I was looking over. Um, and bringing no, I'm more thinking about a much maligned Vikings player who converts oh. a third down here. Oh, oh boy! Yeah. This is great podcast, but I'm telling you the 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 there are going to be some people that come out of the world. Are we going to trade this player to the uh, to the New York the New York Football Giants? Well, we should have traded this player to the Ravens <laughs> for a kicker, but instead we traded a fifth round pick. So I mean, if any team needs a, a player that can, that is good in the run blocking, right? He fits fits what they want to do. There it is, Laquantasaurus Rex. Oh, boom! There it is. There um, it is. Yeah. So, so, uh, uh, that I mean, honestly, if anybody fits the Ravens profile for a wide receiver, it's Treadwell. Can't can't but he catch. Can block. Can't get open. I mean. All they need him you to know. do is block for Lamar. That but might be block. that might be a good match. We'll uh, we'll we'll have to see what we. <laughs> I, I'm telling you, they 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 should they wasted it. They wasted an opportunity to trade him because I think they would have gladly. I feel like tr- could, they couldn't get Treadwell for a fifth though. I guess so. Maybe 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 the fifth round <laughs> picks were Viking at this they would, point. But they'd trade Treadwell for a, a warm hand, uh, a firm handshake. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh god Bring Adrian no. back. Oh god no. Oh man. So uh Kirk Cousins, I'm uh, trying to try to try to bring it back after you know Treadwell went and did something positive. But um so Kirk Cousins, you know, in your opinion, he uh threw the ball well, but then he also he did have uh you know the fumbled snap, we had the uh the overthrow on the screen. What were your thoughts on those plays? Because on that screen play, there was obviously a lot of pressure in his face, but is that a play that from a, a PFF standpoint when a quarterback misses on a play like that, but they are under a ridiculous amount of pressure, how would we be looking to grade a play like that? Uh, well, it, it depends upon if, they, if they're if they responsible for the pressure, but if they're not, uh, then it would probably be zero graded if the pressure is sufficient. Because um, okay. like a... Yeah, that that would be basically it. I mean, if if he invited the pressure, then I think he would get a negative grade in his passing grade because of just like if a tackle was responsible for a pressure, uh, he would get the negative grade. So that's just kind of the, um, you know, sort of the way we we go about things, um, especially if it's sort of unclear, um, you know, if if something obstructed his throw or whatever or made him. So you can imagine needing to throw the ball over a defensive lineman to get it to the back, and you can't throw it over the lineman and uh you know and throw the ball into the hands of the receiver then it's sort of a zero graded play yeah you know, th- those are the types of things if he if he if he were to miss a back and he's not pressured then it would be a negative grade okay that's fair that's and if, fair. He, and if he throws it to a d lineman then it's a negative it's a higher you know more negative grade it's sort of a turnover worthy play is the phrase that we have so while we as uh so while we as fans would would kind of because of the uh you know that could have gone for a touchdown. We may grade it in our minds more negatively than, say, Pro Football Focus would, just because of, of the circumstances that that dictated him overthrowing that pass. Right. That and and I'm not exactly sure how they graded. I don't grade the games, uh, but but I you know in that particular instance, I I actually don't remember what the pressure looked like, but um, I'm I'm assuming that it probably caused uh, more issues. Uh, you know that make it less of a Kirk thing than a, than a pat, you know, than a uh, defense cause. Yeah, it looks thing. like we were trying to set up the screen, but um, maybe the, uh, the offensive line was a little bit too eager to sell. <laughs> let everybody through. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that's, and that's like, I think that's, you know, probably the number one argument you can have for playing preseason is that th- that timing needs to be uh, ironed out. You know what I'm saying? Cause it's not trivial in terms of, uh, you know, setting up the timing for the lineman to get out. Get yeah, out and there. so there's another play that came up as we, we talk about, you know, things that happen and things you're going to see in preseason where Sean Mannion throws an interception and then, you know, kind of in real time, uh, you had people having a discussion about who is at fault for the interception. So, um, you know, Miles Gorham, uh, one of the, the you know, co-hosts on the, the Climbing the Pocket podcast came out and said, you know, it is man coverage. BB misread the coverage. He stopped. Mannion thought he was going, but then you had Ron Johnson saying, well, the linebacker was kind of lurking out there, and so he understood why he stopped. In a situation of that sort where there's an interception, somebody clearly made a mistake, but it maybe isn't 100% clear from the outside looking in who made the mistake. How are we evaluating that from a PFF point? Well, yeah. So the play that I remember from, uh, you know, last season was the interception by Eli Apple, right? That was run back for a touchdown uh, by, um, yeah, by the Saints. And that one, we zero graded Cousins because we certainly, like, we don't know what the the responsibilities are. We might have given a negative grade to Diggs on the play. And I think something similar uh, would have been the case uh, in the, in the, 
you know, in the um, game tonight as a as a guy who used to play receiver and, you know, tight end. Uh, I do know that that mistake is made often by receivers because, you know, it is enticing to want to sit down in the middle of the field um, if somebody's running with you because you can often, you know, kind of it's sort of like a back cut in basketball. You can get the guy to overrun you. Um, but unless the quarterback sees it the way you do, which probably won't be the case when you're dealing with second string players in the NFL who don't play together a lot, um, that's going to cause a fair number of interceptions like that. So, um, you know, and then frankly, a lot of receivers just misidentify what the coverages are, especially underneath um, when guys pattern match and things like that. So it can be it can be confusing. Uh, and so I'd probably put it on I'd probably put it on the receiver more than anything, especially when it looks like, you know, it, it looks like he's throwing the ball, um, you know, to a specific spot. That being said, again, it's just, you know, it, it's sort of, you know, something to iron out in the preseason. Um, but, uh, you know, ultimately when I was playing, it, it was sort of one of those where you run through your route, no matter if, a, if a guy's there, because, you know, the quarterback might throw it to a spot. And if you're not there, it could, you know, become an interception like it was tonight. So I get Ron's point, but that doesn't, you know, that doesn't necessarily absolve the receiver of responsibility. That's fair. That's fair. And then from a, the defensive side of the ball, when, uh, the, the starters who were playing were out there, was there anything that stood out for you? Anything that, uh. Any players that were particularly impressive before uh, before the starters got yanked uh, th- that you saw in this game? Oh, is the preseason goat going to run it in? No, there it is. Touchdown there from the is. preseason goat. There it Slaughter. is. Slaughter. It's slow. It's Kyle Slaughter's world, and we're all just living in it. Right. Okay. So, um, yeah, I you know, so defensively, the thing that stood out like a sore thumb is that they cannot get interior pressure. Now, I know that Limbo Joseph was not playing tonight. And I made a joke on Twitter that Sheldon Richardson was out as well. Um, but the fact of the matter is, is they do not have a second player uh, on the interior of that defense. I mean, like Hercules Mata'afa is a, you know, is a nice story, but he reminds me, and I, you know, you remember this, he reminds me of Aaron Henderson, you know, where, you know, he does, he goes undrafted. We feel lucky, we feel lucky to have gotten him undrafted, but there's a reason he's undrafted. So it's going to take him a while. And Aaron Henderson turned out to be a fine starter for the Vikings, but not until like year five, right? And so the fact that Mata Off is probably going to make the team is impressive, and I'm happy for him. But the idea that he's going to come in and be John Randall in year one is is a little bit overzealous, right? So they so really don't have interior pressure uh, makers on the team, and even if Linval comes back. And is as good as of a pressure creator as he normally is, he still wasn't the one they were relying on in those circumstances. It was always Tom Johnson, you know, Tom Johnson mostly, and then Sheldon Richardson last season. So they're really going to struggle there if they don't pick somebody up here or, you know, Shamar Stefan doesn't all automatically turn into a, you know, a, a pressure machine, which he has never been over the course of his career. So that was one thing. The other thing that I thought was troubling was, they were just very vulnerable over the middle of the field. Um, there were plenty of times where Seattle ran play action, and there was the one time where Harrison Smith made a really nice play, making up for uh, Anthony Harrison coverage. But there were other plays where you know Jamon Brown and I believe Tyler Lockett were just kind of free on crossers. And granted, there's only so many quarterbacks who can make that perfect throw all the time. But Wilson was having uh, a lot of success doing so. So that, to me, that was the thing that I was a little bit concerned about was their coverage. Uh, on you know, kind of the deep middle and kind of middle crossing on on play action and, uh, plays. And, and Yinka would like you and everyone else to know that the reason that Seattle's play action game is as effective as it is is because of their commitment to running the ball. 
just wanted to make sure that uh, that you were aware of that, Eric, if you weren't already. Uh, yeah, I mean, Carson Carson did average uh, five yards of carry today, uh, long of nine. So there you go. That, that that's why they're was there. It was the hashtag commitment to the run commitment game that, that made it. Although you know, the first play of the game was a run for like no yards, and then the next like four plays were successful play actions. So maybe the run was established a priori. Bro, they because yeah. you knew that they were willing to go and 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 tough it out for zero yards, you have to commit. Well, to it's the like run. when I used to teach and I told I told students that they had they had an A to start the class and all they had to do was lose it. I think the run is established at the first play of the game and you just lose. Okay, see there it is. So maybe that maybe that's what we just need to tell Zim is that you just have to run it on the first play of the game. You've then established the run, mm-hmm. and then you just don't have to do it anymore. You don't have to establish the run. You can pass as much as you want to because you've done the first play. That's right. I mean, I think Zimmer. I think Zimmer would be Zimmer would be happy with that insight. Okay, so uh, make sure that uh, the next time you know PFF has to send something to uh, to the Vikings, if you could just slide that in in the envelope and make sure that Zim is aware. You only need one run to only one run needs to be there to establish it. So uh, <laughs> yeah, there we go. So that's it. So defense, really, I guess the middle of the defense, not named Harrison Smith, is a cause for concern based on a, an overreaction time. Um, and, and what we've seen kind of moving forward here, Treadwell did a thing. Brandon Zilstra, I'm not sure if you're aware that he led the CFL in yardage uh, a couple of years ago. He, he scored a touchdown thrown to him by the preseason GOAT, Kyle Sloter. Uh, what else? I'm saying, what else? What else? What else have you been up to? Because I feel like there was another thing that you did that was pretty awesome that I wanted to talk about, and it is escaping me right now. Uh, I mostly um was working on uh essentially sort of some more pass rush versus coverage, and in, in in sort of looking at what causes different times to throw. Uh, and I think that that's going to go up on the site pretty soon here. But it's basically this idea of like. Okay, coverage. We, I basically demonstrated that coverage causes quarterbacks to hang on to the ball longer, uh, and pass rush makes them throw the ball quicker, which I think is intuitive. Um, but the question then becomes in the pass rush versus coverage debate, which is better for an offense? And on balance, if you could always, if you could assume that, you know, essentially no pressure ever happens, then the longer you hold on to the ball, the better. Guys get open, all that kind of stuff. Um, but uh, that's not actually true, right? Pressure happens enough so that holding on to the ball is actually less of a positive EB play uh, than, than getting rid of the ball quickly. And how good your receivers are um, influences your time to throw in a negative way. So the better receivers you have in terms of PFF grades, the more quickly you throw the ball, uh, which is, I think, an interesting uh, result. So just a lot of fun just like looking at the data uh, and, and coming up with some some sort of insights. Uh, it's kind of kind of been what I've, have not been able to do as much research uh, because we have some products that are coming out that I've had to, uh, you know, put some development time into. Um, but some some cool some cool little nuggets uh, over the last few weeks. Man, that does sound like a ton of fun, and can't wait to uh, to see that one uh, see that one uh, that come out so that we can we can dig in and get a little bit smarter learning about the football. But uh, yeah, that's it. You know, we covered. We, we, we covered, you know, what's happening with some live uh, feedback on the game. We've let you talk about the uh, awesome work that you did recently here with the uh, the article about pressure rates and quarterbacks. Uh, and you've told us what you have upcoming. I think that's pretty much it. That's all. Uh, we're not going to – it feels wrong to preview the next game while I'm still watching the game that's happening right now. So 
We're not going to do that on this podcast. One of the many. I feel like I don't even know who they play next week without. I think it, it might be. Um, I think it might be the Kyler show next week. Oh, that'll yeah. be exciting because Kyler, you know, as as we found out about Kyler and Will Greer, both are done. Yeah, well, I mean, they're not good. Their their careers yes, over. Yes, yeah. And Teddy and Teddy, I got into some trouble today for uh, sticking up for Teddy, but yeah, Teddy didn't play apparently all that well. Uh, today and hence his career's over. Well, I mean, it was already over. He's a backup, which means he's terrible. That's and true. I don't care about That's him, Eric. True. He doesn't play for my team, so I don't even know why you're talking about him. Even though I like to retweet something about him every time he does something poor. Yeah. I, I don't follow him at all. Oh, I just man. have daily alerts set up to make sure that anytime something happens to him that confirms my bias, I can tweet it out. But also to make sure that I can ignore all things positive ever said about him. That you uh. Teddy files or whatever well, they're being called these days can uh head heads, heads. There we go. Is it Ted Ted heads? heads? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, for the people for the people that hate listen to this podcast, uh, I just wanted to acknowledge. Uh, you know, not only not only is not only I think is Teddy's career alive and well. The two two of the smartest head coaches going would rather he be their their franchise quarterback uh, for the future. So that's that's a little bit telling to me. I think. Yeah. Yeah. The crazy thing is now that you get in these dust ups with people, most of the time I can't even see them because I feel like most of the people with whom I was having those interactions, I just I muted them from my timeline. And so yeah. like Same. I just I I don't know when it's happening until like Miles or, or, or Yanka or somebody will put it in the group chat and be like, Oh no and then I'll go I go get caught up. <laughs> <laughs> the- <laughs> uh it's all good. Anyway. You know, I enjoy them. So keep doing what you do. You you uh, you fight the good fight for all of us. But uh, but that is it. That is all. A lot less math on this episode than you would come to expect. But you know, the game's still going on. There's really not much you know deep dive analysis that can be done on the game while we're watching the game. But you got Eric giving you all that wonderful film analysis that many of you think can't be done by the nerds who uh. Well, I guess you did put your, your, your hands in the dirt. So they can't even say that about you anyway. But next week, we'll be back. We'll be talking about what's going to be going down. Uh, we'll have some analysis on the, the game with uh, Kyler Murray. Hopefully, uh, I guess not really hopefully. Actually, I do want to see a little bit more of that offense. Like, I want to see them actually have some success versus just, you know, I want an exciting game to watch. It's the the dress rehearsal game. But um, yeah, if Arizona still looks like they did, Last week or this week, I don't know. I might not play Kyler. It might be. It might be a game to bet I on the Vikings. I might not play Kyler Murray, but that is the. I guess Arizona is a perfect thing. I'm so one more question for you before we get out of here, because I know people have kind of hyperbolically taken what you said about you know quarterbacks having a lot to do with how much they get pressured and their play style, and have taken that all the way out to an extreme of offensive lines don't matter, which is obviously not at all what you actually wrote. Um, there was a lot of nuance in, in in what you wrote, but how does that work? Like we have a team, you know, Kyler Murray, he's play style is one. He's a quarterback who likely will hold the ball a little bit more. But when you're playing behind an offensive line that is a, as atrocious as the one the Arizona Cardinals have, um, how do you kind of parse out what part of that is his fault versus the offensive line's fault? When it just seemed as though somebody was breaking free on almost every drop back. Yeah, I mean that's the thing is you have to, you still have to look at the pressure rates and ask yourself like is you know 
it's hard to say, like, is the pressure uh, quarterback driven? Is it not? Is he holding on to the ball too long? Is he not? Because I know Andrew Luck, for example, last season got rid of the ball a lot quicker than historically in his career. So is and, and you know, also time to throw is sort of this like proxy for decision making, too. So he might not be throwing the ball hot as quickly as he should be uh, type of thing. So um, it's all of those things wrapped together. For me, I would say. They're probably not. They're probably doing a lot of vanilla things up front, and I also think that the defense that he's going against in the preseason is less concerned with his running ability. So when Sam Bradford is back there as Arizona's quarterback, the other team is pretty much rushing the quarterback with reckless abandon because uh, they they sort of know that well, you know, there's not there's not going to be a whole lot that that Bradford is going to do behind us uh if if you know we miss on a rush whereas murray's going to break your back right so it's also one of those things where again they they control their pressure rates in the sense uh that you know they um they slow down the rush or they speed up the rush based upon how mobile they are and everything like that so i don't it, it's a tough one it, it certainly is a tough one um in the preseason because the schemes aren't the way that they're probably i mean they're probably not running uh, their most advanced sort of uh, offenses in these games. So it's hard to sort of parse that out. All right. That's fair. Now we're done. Now that's it. That's all. Eric, thanks for uh, for bringing that analysis back to me. And I'm going to go ahead and uh, you know, call it an evening, watch the rest of this game, get this podcast edited and posted Boom. for all of you to uh, to listen to. Hopefully, uh, first thing on Monday morning is your, your ride into work. So uh, listeners, as always, thanks for riding with us. If you uh, enjoy what we're doing for you here at Climbing the Pocket, tell a friend, subscribe. And Eric, uh, yeah, I will talk to you soon. You have a good one, my man. Yeah, take care. Support for Pivot comes from Polestar. At Polestar, every inch of every vehicle they design is thoughtfully made. They're made to transform auto performance, accelerating from 0 to 60 in less than 4.2 seconds with fully electric all-wheel drive. They're made to elevate the driving experience with LED headlights and a panoramic glass roof. And they're made to uphold a greater responsibility to the planet using sustainable materials and energy-saving systems. The result is a car that combines the best of today with the technology of tomorrow. Pure performance, pure design, Polestar. Design yours and book a test drive today at polestar.com.